0: so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, just as, in fact, you are doing.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Lovely to be with you this morning. And um, isn't the church looking so beautiful with all the lights up and everything? Uh, We as a staff team did this on Wednesday. It was a lot of fun. I helped with the tree. So if you like the tree, that was my participation. Um, Good. Well, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that we can um, gather together in this warm building. And I pray, please, would you warm our hearts now as we look at your word? Would your spirit help us to engage our hearts and minds and that we might be able to live in light of the truth that you show us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, Direct Line released some new research into how long the average Brit waits for things to happen. So apparently, <laughs> apparently we spend 6.7 years of our lives waiting for stuff to happen. Top the list was cooking. We spent a total of 17 months of our lives waiting for our food to cook. Next was our children. We spend 13 months waiting for our children to do stuff. Uh, (laughs) Uh, the data confirms i think what we all know which is that we don't like waiting seven in ten people according to this research believe waiting for stuff is a waste of time and women were found to be more patient than men some knowing smiles around waiting is hard isn't it it's hard and the passage Karen read to us this morning is from a letter in the Bible to the church in a town called Thessalonica, and they too struggled to wait. But their struggle wasn't with waiting for the pastor to boil or their children to get their shoes on for the fifth time of asking. No, their struggle was with waiting for Jesus to return. Last week, we started a new series called Eternity Changes Everything. And in that first talk, we heard that Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this world on that very first Christmas, promised that he would return again. And when he returns, we heard that he's gonna deal with all of our mess, all the mess in our lives, and he's gonna deal with it once and for all. But here's the thing. When is Jesus gonna come back? The Bible tells us it could be at any moment. But it really doesn't feel like that, does it? Back in Thessalonica, there were people, uh, in verse 3 we read, saying, peace and safety. In other words, they were kind of saying, chill out. You know, you can almost hear the scorn in those words. You know, you think Jesus is returning? <sighs> yeah, right. And that was 2,000 years ago, or roughly 2,000 years ago. How about today? Jesus Returning? If we're honest, I think day to day it really doesn't feel like it. Life just goes on as normal, doesn't it? The alarm clock goes off in the morning, or maybe it's your child screaming. Um, the school run happens eventually, another autumn leaf sticks to the pavement, and when you sniff the air, there isn't a sense of Jesus coming back. Which is why Paul writes this passage in this letter. Our future can change your present. Paul shows us that we're to wait in the present for Jesus' return with three A's. Acceptance, alertness, and awareness. So firstly, we wait with acceptance. Now, I'm quite a big fan of Arsenal Football Club. Any other goonies in the house? Just one, okay. (laughs) Well, solidarity. Um, uh, There's a a player actually um, who plays for Arsenal Football Club called um, Gabriel Jesus, but um, it's spelt Jesus, his last name. And as you can imagine um, with the headlines, he's a player that just keeps on giving. So um, there's actually more when he played for Man City, but what will Jesus do? Uh, And then the next one, Jesus repays faith. But then just very recently, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago, there was this headline, which said this. It says, we don't know when Jesus will return, says Arteta. I made sure I stored that away for this talk. Now, our passage today gives us a similar headline, not obviously about Jesus the footballer, but about Jesus the king of the whole universe. Paul tells us, we don't know when Jesus is returning He writes, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, he's saying, people, you need to accept this. Paul writes, you know very well. I once organized to meet with um, someone in a cafe. Uh, I went to the table and I waited. 10 minutes went by and this person I was meeting didn't show up. I thought, yeah, is this a bit strange, 10 minutes late? 20 minutes went by, and I'm thinking, still no show. It's getting a little bit rude. It's getting a bit rude. 30 minutes, the person still hadn't arrived. And I thought, right, that's it, I'm leaving. And then I checked my diary, and I got the wrong day. <laughs> but you see, the Christians in Thessalonica, and maybe us today, were wondering, maybe Jesus has stood us up. Maybe he's not coming. To which Paul is saying, I think maybe you need to accept that you might have got the wrong day. Because verse two, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Thieves don't usually announce when they're uh, coming to rob your house. I don't think I know anyone who got a little note you know, through their door from a robber saying, I'm coming at 3 a.m. Make sure you're not around. <laughs> no, thieves come when you don't expect them to and so Paul says Jesus is coming when we won't expect him to and when he comes we won't be able to escape his return Paul uses the image of a pregnant woman um you know going through labor pains in verse three you know once it starts you know what's coming you can't escape from it and so we need to make sure we have got our bags all ready to go to the hospital you can't escape what's about to happen so the question is for us this morning, it's kind of a simple question, but have you, have I, have we, accepted that Jesus is coming back at any moment? I know someone who finds it so easy to forget that Jesus is gonna be coming back at any moment, that on his, um, the background of his phone, he's got it written, by the way, Jesus might return today. It's a quite intense background, but... <laughs> But may helpful for him. Because you know, it, it may not feel like it, but Jesus is going to come back at any moment. Um, and that's the reality that Jesus, uh, or so that Paul, is trying to show us this morning. One of my favorite films growing up was uh, the film "The Matrix." And it's that classic scene, it's a bit of a classic scene now, uh, when Neo has to choose between uh, taking the red pill or the blue pill looks more like a green pill in that picture, but it is a blue pill. Um, The blue pill means, if he takes it, he will be able to continue to live his existence. Um, But it's not a real existence. It's an illusion. But the blue pill kind of gets him to kind of remain living in that. But if he takes the red pill, the red pill will help him understand what actually is occurring outside of the illusion. The red pill shows him reality And Paul, in a sense, is this morning giving each of us the red pill. He shows us the reality of the future for what it really is. We don't know when, but Jesus is coming back. And so like Neo, we need to accept that the reality, or that reality, for ourselves. And if you do, it completely changes your life. Because you see, if you... Wait with acceptance, you'll wait with alertness. Number two, wait with alertness. During the Second World War, my great-grandfather was taken prisoner and um, was taken to a prisoner of war camp. It was tough, really tough, apparently. Um, He once managed to, I don't even know how he managed to get the gold watch in, but he once managed to swap his gold watch in the camp for an extra bowl of food uh, from one of the guards. But imagine with me if my great-grandfather one evening received a message saying that he was going to be rescued that night. The message gave him instructions about where he would need to be and at what time. What would my grandfather not do? He wouldn't go to sleep, would he? That'd be crazy. You know, it'd be way too risky. What if the alarm didn't go off? And actually he just got, got rid of his watch so he wouldn't be able to even have it alarm. No, my grandfather would stay awake and alert. His future rescue would have dramatically impacted his experience. The grief of not seeing his loved ones, well, he knew now that he would see his loved ones soon. The pain from the beatings and the malnutrition, he now knew he would soon be eating a feast. In other words, his suffering was real, but he could suffer with hope. Rescue was coming. Now, I tell this story because Paul tells us, followers of Jesus, that we too are going to be rescued. And like my great-grandfather, Paul says, we must stay alert. Do you see it in the verses, verses six uh, to eight? But he says, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So we're to be, uh, what is it, awake and sober. What does that mean? (laughs) He's clearly not saying we shouldn't sleep. And he's clearly not saying we can't have the odd glass of wine. No, Paul is simply, I think, making a contrast between those who are alert to Jesus' coming back and those who aren't. If you're metaphorically asleep or had too much to drink, you're not alert to Jesus' return. In fact, the word sober really means a person who understands what ultimately matters. And there are loads of people here at HTC in this room who show us what this looks like. It makes me think of someone in this church who's given a huge amount of his income to the ministry of the church. Why would he do that? That's his hard-earned cash. And it's not like it's a kind of a shrewd financial investment. He's not going to see that money again. And he's worked really hard for it. Why give a lot of it away to the ministry at HTC? Answer? Answer? because eternity changes everything. He knows that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus returns, we won't be bringing with us our money, our cars, our houses with loft extensions, as good as those things are. Jesus is in the business of saving lives for eternity. And that's the business this man wants to ultimately invest his money in. It also makes me think of someone else I know here. Um, who gives up numerous Sundays to help teach the children um, in their groups. She comes to the evening service, but instead of enjoying a Sunday lion, she's often wiping the snotty noses of our children at HTC, probably my sons, uh, whilst telling them about Jesus. Why would she do that? And you know, she does it with such joy. It's rare that I don't see her with a big smile on her face. Why? Because eternity changes everything. She's alert to the fact that Jesus is coming. The best is yet to come. And she wants everyone to hear about Jesus and enjoy Jesus, especially the young people. And finally, it makes me think of another girl at this church. She's also single, um, but she would love to be married. But for various reasons that she's decided, marriage isn't on the cards for her. Every summer, she, um, it seems for her, it's every summer, she attends another friend's wedding. And each time she hears the wedding music, it's like another stab to her heart. Coming to church isn't easy for her. Seeing couples together, worshiping God isn't always easy for her. But she still comes. She still, each day, takes another step in faith. Why? Because eternity changes Everything and she knows that Jesus is coming. Contrary to what the world says about sex and marriage, she knows that the best is yet to come. Her future, it really does change her present. Now there are just three people in this church um, who are not metaphorically asleep. They're alert to Jesus' return, and you know, I could have mentioned loads of others, loads in this room, But here's the diagnostic question, I think, for you and for me this morning. If someone was to look at your life, the decisions you make, the way that you spend your time, your money, your stuff, your gifts, what would they say? Would they see someone alert or asleep to Jesus' return? If you're anything like me, you are seeing yourself maybe a bit of a mixture of the two. Because to be totally frank, it's not always easy living for a future that you can't see. Which is why Paul gives us the final A for how we wait for Jesus. We've had wait with acceptance, we've had wait with alertness, and now finally a wait with awareness. Paul wants us to be aware of what's at stake. Take a look at verses nine and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. It's as if Paul is saying to followers of Jesus, are you aware of how your story ends? Are you aware of how glorious it's going to be? When the credits roll on your life, the real story, the better story begins. You know, even though we stuff up all the time, and as Christians, he says, we don't need to fear anything, not even God's anger for our sinful mess. Paul tells us in these verses that Jesus has paid the price for that mess, he's dealt with it all. Whatever baggage we've come into uh, this room this morning with, Jesus says, If you're trusting in me, I'll take it off you. The verse couldn't be clearer. Jesus died so that we can live. In other words, for the Christian, death is kind of turned upside down. Death ends with life. So when the credits roll on your life, and they will either when we die or when Jesus returns, there is no the end. Our life story ends with the start of an even better one. And I think this might all leave us thinking, hang on, hold up. It all sounds good, but how can I stay aware? You know, when the routine kicks in tomorrow, tomorrow morning, when the pressure of a demanding job, a screaming baby, A Christmas present list that you can't actually afford (laughs) all kicks in. How can I keep my eyes on the price when my life just feels so full on? That's certainly how I feel when I come at these verses. And Paul tells us at the end of the passage, verse 11, he says this, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. How can we stay aware? By helping each other. Rebecca McLachlan, a Christian writer, says this. She says, The further I go on in life, the more convinced I am that every Christian is a struggling Christian, dependent on help from brothers and sisters who know their needs and vulnerabilities. Lungs don't work without hearts or legs without feet. We're simply not designed for solo flight. The bottom line is this. We need each other. We need each other. I remember once driving back from a stag do on a Saturday night. The drive it was around four hours long, and I left at 11 p.m. Um, you can probably see where this is going. It was one of the scariest drives I've ever had in my life. I kept falling asleep and then being woken up by the you know the of cat's eyes in the road. I was so scared. And several months later, I did the same drive, but this time I wasn't alone in the car, but I had others in the car. And they kept me awake by talking to me, and they kept me excited about what to look forward to at the end destination. In other words, it showed me that I needed people in the car for that drive. And as Christians, we have a final destination, and we need each other as we wait for it. So let's not underestimate the power of prayer as we pray with each other, pray with one another, maybe during the prayer ministry time on a Sunday in the service. We need each other. Let's not underestimate the power of conversation as we stick around after a service, maybe at the cafe after this service, and chat with each other rather than race off back home or to another play date. You know, we need each other. Let's make space for each other. Let's talk to each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's not underestimate the power of connecting with each other. You know, as we meet up during the week for connect group, maybe the online one, or other church or social meetings, as we meet with each other, we need each other. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. In fact, Paul implies it will at times feel like a fight. In verse 8, we're told to go to the armory and get ready for battle. He uses battle language in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In summary, living in light of your future will at times feel like a battle. A battle against the scorn of our friends or family who laugh at us when we say there's life after death. And they'll say, you don't really believe all of that stuff, do you? Or maybe a battle against the voices in our minds that whisper those words of verse three, peace and safety, peace and safety. Ignore that stuff at church. What really matters is life now. What really matters is that promotion at work. What really matters is getting onto the housing ladder. What really matters is your comfort fulfilling your dreams, peace and safety. And our pastor says in those moments, we need to armor up, armor up, faith. We can trust in things even though we can't see them. Love, aligning our heart's desires with what God loves. Hope, hope, remembering that the best is yet to come. Because you see, as we close, The research from Direct Line says we spend 6.7 years of our lives waiting for stuff to happen. But as Christians, we know our whole life is a life of waiting, which doesn't mean we can't enjoy it now. In fact, I think it makes us, or helps us enjoy it more. You know, it just takes the pressure off at times, doesn't it? We don't have to be nailing life all the time. And let's be frank, we're not. It's no wonder, you know, Paul in another letter says, and he's imprisoned when he says this, that he rejoices always. How? Because the comfort within it all is this eternity changes everything. Your future really can change your present. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life you've given each of us to live. And I pray, might you help us today, by your spirit, to live in light of our future. Would you empower each of us as we put on the armor of faith, love, and hope? Might you inspire us to help encourage each other that we might be able to raise our gaze and live in light of what's to come. Might each of us know how eternity really does change everything. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.